Chapter 22 of Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Derek Trial. Joaquin, the Claude Duval of California, or The Marauder of the Mines, a Romance Founded on Truth, by Henry L. Williams. Chapter 22 Three of the Savages Rubbed Out Jack's Adventure Hospitality Repaid Treachery Rewarded and Foiled Over mountain and valley land, Joaquin continued to fly until he could feel confident that he was fully out of danger. He went through Carson's Pass and on the fourth day came to a miner's camp on Walker River, where he passed the night. But fearing to be recognized, he started at daybreak, and by the same time of the following day, came upon a second camp, which he fancied belonged to Indians. On drawing nearer, he found himself, to his great surprise, in the presence of Valenzuela and Three-Fingered Jack, who, no more than he, expected such a meeting. While breakfasting, the chief learnt from them the result of their peregrinations and how they had chanced to be at the same spot as himself. On quitting the arroyo, Valenzuela had led his company to Weaverville, conforming in that to the orders of Joaquin. Before arriving there, he had seized some horses and had chosen fifteen of his men to conduct them to the rallying place. He was then with Garcia and four others. Pursued by several rancheros, the servants of the horse owners, the six thieves had been compelled to seek safety by crossing, by swimming, a very rapid stream. Hit and disabled by bullets, three of Valenzuela's men had been drowned. Castillo, one of the three left, had managed to reach the opposite shore, but a Missourian had saved him the trouble of proceeding any considerable distance on it by sending a rifle ball at him. In brief, Valenzuela and Jack were the only ones who had managed to escape. When at Weaverville, Jack had wished to go into a dance house, notwithstanding the objections of the prudent Valenzuela. Four men, standing up to the bar, were drinking while conversing on the late horse thefts. One of them had expressed his opinion that Joaquin was no stranger to the affair. To see him and his rascals at the end of a rope, said he, I'd change my head for a balloon. Garcia placed himself in front of the speaker and said rudely, For a pistol ball, loon, sneered he. Do you mean? Who in thunder are you? If you know how to count, that ought to satisfy you, returned the Mexican, holding up his mutilated hand. Three-fingered! Jack! Yes, siree! And without waiting for more, the speaker drew his knife and plunged it into the man's breast. Three or four hands seized him, and he and Valenzuela had to fight their way out. The horses had not been touched, fortunately, and mounting them, they contrived to drop their enemies before they came to Beckworth's Pass, 
and the place where they had just met their superior. The next day, the three Mexicans pursued the road to Arroyo Cantuva. They crossed the Sonora Range and the Tuolumna at the South Fork. Dismounting at Rattlesnake Bar, they entered the house and called for supper. It was occupied by an old man, his son, and his daughter. The three Mexicans, armed to the teeth, surprised them somewhat, but they said nothing, and the meal demanded was served up promptly by the girl. Marietta, who was something of the gentleman, for all of his cutthroat and robber's exterior, chatted in the most affable manner with the latter, while she gracefully waited upon him and his comrades. The old man remarked with suspicion the veracity, but kept his impressions to himself. When the repast was over, Valenzuela rose, advanced towards the youth, who had remained in his seat by the fireplace, and taking aim at him with his revolver, asked him with extreme politeness what he had to say against their sacking the house. "'If you've got any objections to make, speak quick,' added he, cocking his weapon playfully. "'Senor, stay. I didn't know you were robbers,' began the old man. He commenced to make such an outcry that three-fingered Jack had to gag him. Of course the youth had given his consent to the inevitable pillage, and the whole dwelling was rummaged. Only a few hundred dollars were found. When about to ride into Weaversville, Joaquin reflected that the imprudence of Garcia might bring difficulties upon him as well as upon Valenzuela, and he resolved to enter the town alone. Consequently, he ordered the couple to hurry on in company to their rendezvous, while he himself would remain a couple of days in the residence of one of the members of the band, Juan Berriessa. This person had many times furnished excellent news to members of the active force, and at several other periods had lent them money and horses. These services had been generously rewarded by the leader, who considered him as a sincere and faithful friend. He was, truth to say, nothing of the kind. Without letting it appear, Berryessa had sworn and felt deadly hatred for Joaquin and had been constantly seeking a good chance to give him up to justice. At this very moment, believing that the game was in his hands, he was trying to find more actively than ever a means of consummating his treachery. Three or four days had elapsed since the departure of Valenzuela and his mate. One evening, when Joaquin was visiting the Fandangos in hope of meeting some friend of his, he perceived by accident that his case was empty of its revolver. He fancied that the weapon had fallen out and that he had mechanically buttoned the strap over while habit, and the certainty of the cover being in its place, had prevented him doubting the lightness. Immediately he retraced his steps to seek it. First he looked in the stable, beside the house, to see that his horse was not grudged feed, and then entered by the back door, a little room adjoining the kitchen, which had been given to him. While he was advancing in the dark, 
and groping for his candle and some matches. He heard voices in conversation in the next chamber. One of these was an American, and the other, quite as certainly, his host. In any other circumstances, Joaquin would have taken no heed of this fact, but his name, distinctly pronounced by both of the dialogists, and in a tone arguing nothing friendly, set him on the alert. Though the idea of his friend conspiring against him had something too absurd in it to attract him, he was naturally anxious to discover the why and wherefore of the utterance of his name, and that motive appeared sufficient to induce him to play the eavesdropper. He crossed the kitchen on tiptoe, and glued his ear to the board partition separating the apartments. Yes, Berryessa was saying, so will my vengeance be satisfied, for he has mortally offended me at various times, either here or in Mexico. Besides, I want money. My losses at Mate have forced me to sell my rancho at half its value, and, by the by, what's the figure out for the bandit? Well, I can't tell, exactly. I reckon it's going on 5000 and maybe near $10,000. Give me 1000 down on the nail tomorrow morning, and you shall have him. But are you right down earnest certain that it is him? If you can swear to it, I can get the sum together just as soon as you say. It's a first-rate spec. But are you sure? Why shouldn't I be? I've known him a little too long to be mistaken there. Where is he now? You say a few miles from here? Where's that? Joaquin could divine that, during the slight pause that intervened, Berryessa was winking knowingly. Caramba! Am I a greenhorn? I could take you for an accomplice, one of the band, and have you lynched. Bah! You haven't any proof that I am even speaking to you now. Very well. I don't care to fall out with you. But if you're willing to give him over to us tonight, hold on a bit. What do you mean by us? Jerusalem, do you suppose that I was going to take him single-handed? Ha ha, no siree. Number one can't do everything. There will be three of us, and I'll get one of my mates who will fetch along the money you want. All right, then, that settles it. You pay me that sum, whether he's alive or dead. To be sure, if you are serious. I am more serious than ever before in my life, and I tell you that, if it hadn't been for my bad luck at cards, I would have asked three times as much. It's no child's play, I warn you. You can't scare me. When and where are we to tackle him? In this very house, and in a couple of hours, provided you have the cash ready. Never you fear. I will be back before ten minutes, and look upon Mr. Walken as walking out his career tomorrow. Wait for me. On these words, the American stalked out, closing the door behind him. In another second, Murrieta sprang into the room like a wild beast, and, his dagger out, he caught Berryessa by the throat, petrifying him by the sudden appearance. Silence! hissed he when the other tried to speak. 
you have spoken your last. So, added he, after a few moments spent in tightening his hold on the wretch's throat, so you are betraying me for money and to be revenged. Revenged? For what? Haven't I always been your best friend? You sell me for a few ounces of gold, trying to make the buyer believe that you are acting through revenge. Who shall I trust henceforth? Those like you, wretch, have hitherto shown themselves true and devoted, may turn on me any time, and give me up to those who want to deck trees with me and my comrades. And you, Berryessa, act this way. When supposed I, you, most of all, incapable of such falseness, die. He was driving his knife a second time into the traitor's breast, when, the door flying open, in walked the partner of the dying man. He understood all, and dropping the bag of gold, he grasped his revolver in its stead. Who are you? challenged he. I am the man you bought at that price, replied the robber, pointing to the fallen sack. Joaquin, surrender or you're a dead man. Very likely, only life for life. As soon as you fire, I am on you with my knife. I prefer to take you alive, or a lot I'd let you do with your steel. You had better be quick about it, but you can't escape anyway. Two of my mates will be here in two or three minutes. I wasn't going to pay this man you've murdered so much money without witnesses. Murdered? Punished? It doesn't matter. Down with the dagger, or I fire. Fate's against me, said Joaquin. I see all's up. There. Take my only weapon. All I ask is for you to give me up to the authorities, and not to the mob. I am quite willing, said the other. Taking advantage of the moment when the man, who was too full of fair play himself to suspect treachery, lowered his firearm and extended his other hand to receive the weapon, the faithless bandit leaped upon him like a panther, threw him to the floor, pinned him down with a dagger stroke, then, catching up the revolver and uncocking it as he ran, he glided through his room and out round to the stable. Merely bidding his horse, he mounted bareback and galloped away at the very moment that the friends of the slain American entered the house and room in which lay the two dead bargainers. Joaquin was scarcely a mile beyond Mariposa, when all the people were in motion and many horsemen put off in pursuit. But they exerted themselves all in vain, for they could not overtake the chief, especially when he had taken to the mountains. Two weeks after this narrow escape from the Judas, Murrieta arrived at the main rendezvous, where he found collected almost all who were ranked under his flag, with more than four hundred horses, which they had run off from different parts of the state. The captain explained the cause of his prolonged absence, and hurried into his tent to tell Clarina the same, and learn from her whatever information of past events in the camp that she might have to impart to him. Among other pieces of news, he was told that one of his connections at San Luis Obispo, called Texas Jack, who is not to be confounded with a rascal of the same name, who has had an account of his deserved execution mentioned already by us, 
had presented himself to the band with two companions. These latter were complete strangers, but Jack had gone surety that they were meritorious recruits. They had been out horse-stealing when they had come upon the headquarters by chance. A great number of the troop had been on the point of kicking them out as intruders, and even killing them as spies, but some who had been acquainted with Jack in Lower California placed faith in his assertion, and so warmly pleaded his cause that life had been granted them until the commander of the desperados should have returned. On learning this, Murrieta charged Antonio instantly to bring the prisoners before him. They had been placed under a strong guard in a tent at the southeastern end of the Arroyo, where they could be in safety, but not mingling with the banditti to learn valuable secrets. End of chapter 22